Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hey, Matthew. Uh, it's Simon Clark. Uh, I'm the CEO of American Lithium. American Lithium is focused in two jurisdictions. We have two large development lithium projects, one in Nevada, one in Peru. We also have the world's fifth largest undeveloped uranium project also situated in Peru. So a lot's been going on and looking forward to update you as we go through the, the, the interview. Good to see you again, Simon. We saw you back in uh, July. I've um, been seeing you've been banging out the press releases. So I'm excited about that. I want to talk to you about some of the things you've been doing there, certainly on the technical front. Uh, but I want to deal with uh, your uranium project, okay? It's looking like a smarter and smarter deal, quite frankly, given what's happened in the uranium uh, space over the past couple of months. But it, it sort of begs the question, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, it's, it, it's a great question. Um, we obviously bought Plateau Energy, you know, for the for the lithium asset um, and the uranium came with it. I, I would also say we also bought it for uh, what we see is an exceptionally strong technical team that uh, had developed Falchani and took it through to battery grade. And we're now leveraging that expertise into what we're doing in Nevada. But, but yes, it was, uh, it was certainly great to, to pick up uh, Makassani at the same time, fifth largest undeveloped uranium resource. And we think scope to, 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 to actually build the value further in the short term. But clearly it doesn't sit within a lithium producer. We've had a number of investors and uh, shareholders say to us that you know, we're never going to maximize value with it there. And we've always known that. And so it's a question of timing. Um, our favorite approach is likely to, to spin it out uh, where we keep a, a, a significant stake in it and, you know, have some board represent board management representation, uh, but also bring in potentially a really strong separate team. And it, and it operates then in a, standalone uranium company, which we think will ultimately attract a better valuation and be better for everyone. But we want to maximize things for our shareholders. We, we have had some people, you know, approaching us with offers and, uh, you know, our, our sense has always been it's not it's not yet the time. But I think with what's happening in uranium, we're probably getting closer to that time. And Again, we continue to work the asset and we think add incremental value as we go ahead here. It's, it's really interesting um, what's happened in the uranium space in the last couple of months, you know, obviously driven by your spot, uh, physical uranium trust um, and obviously now others entering that space too. Have you been approached recently? Because we're hearing the M&A uh, phrase mentioned more and more in this space because there aren't too many decent-sized projects out there to go after. This would probably qualify. We'll talk about you know politics and legal and so forth in country in, in a bit, but a project of this scale is interesting. So any, any new interest in it? Yeah, I, I mean, we had a lot of interest at the time we did the acquisition, sure. as you would imagine. And, and uh, you know, we had the some of the usual suspects, I would say, coming out of the woodwork and, and lowballing and trying to do something at that stage. And, you know, with the guys we brought on, you have to remember Plateau was originally a uranium-focused company, and they were exploring for you, further uranium on the Makassani Plateau when they discovered Falchani. Um, but, uh, and so there's a lot of technical knowledge and expertise that their team has on it. So we didn't want to do anything knee-jerk. Uh, and our sense was even, in, even back in... April, May, you were starting to see the signs that the uranium side might be might be moving forward. So, 
yes, uh, we, we had those initial approaches. Subsequently, we've had we've continued to have approaches every now and again. And obviously, as uranium has heated up, there's been uh, you know one one group in particular, uh, and then we've also seen some bankers start to approach us raising you know, questions as to whether the timing is right now. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, I guess you'll let us know more when you know, but just coming back to your phrase, we'll do the best uh, in the best interest of shareholders. Uh, th- that can mean two things. That, that can mean best interest now or in the future, because this thing's, uranium's got a long way to run, it seems. Okay, we're up around sort of the, well, we were up around 50 bucks or whatever, it's slightly come reset back down to now. A lot of the conversation seems to be right. It's going to be at 100 bucks by the end of the year. It's going to be 200 bucks next year. All the, all the kind of very excitable, frothy language that has been used around mm-hmm. it. What, what are you buying into in terms of what the future potential of this is and versus cashing in now and then using that to get your lithium projects going? Yeah, well, you know, they, they did a really robust PEA, um, you know, IRR pre-tax at 48% in 2016 using a $50 price. So the work that's been done since that, we believe would would actually um, average that PA into a stronger uh, uh, PA still. So it's, it, to our mind, it's just getting better and better. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're comfortable. I don't necessarily buy into a hundred or $200. I, don't, I can't profess to knowing uranium enough, but I certainly could see it well above the numbers that they're, you know, the, the PA was done on 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 long-term $50 price, which most of them are. In fact, it's quite conservative compared to a number of them. So, to my mind, that's that's a target. And so, there's two two options: Do you hold on to it, work it, and then sell it uh, to to another group and bring in cash, as you said, to help develop the other projects, or do you spin it out sooner into a vehicle where it's going to attract more attention and greater valuation and keep a keep a good stake for the company? And you know that might ultimately be the, the best approach because I think you know in a separate vehicle it's going to I, I think it's going to be valued more highly as as things move forward. So you just have to figure out the right time to do that. And so you know we wouldn't be afraid of doing that sooner if it was the right team and the right opportunity. But again, we're not going to do anything on a knee-jerk basis, and we have we have technical guys in the company who believe this is the best asset they've developed in in a lifetime in the mining industry. So you don't want to give it up too early or without a lot of thought. So if, if that's your preferred option, then that suggests to me that you're not necessarily going to spend too much more money on it now, but you'll wait to like say shift it from a, a PEA to to feasibility or pre-fees, depending on which which route you go, because there was a you know pretty robust PEA. Um and let let the new spin out company pay for that advancement. Is that in your head or are you throwing money at this? Well in the short term we there's there's some short term work that we can do with it. I mean Camaco owned some of these assets and did a bunch of pre-concentration work. So when you know Plateau was originally called Makasani Yellow Cake you know, it had a valuation of 125 million on its own before Fukushima. Um, but, you know, there's a bunch of work that's been done on pre-concentration, you know, where you reduce the mass to 88%, but you, you more than double the grades. So there's a lot of, you know, that, that PEA, I, we think could be restated relatively quickly for a number of the steps that have been made in the interim. Um, 
And as we announced earlier this week, there's also some really nice extension drilling targets, you know, with average grades at surface of over 2% uranium. Uh, so we think there's some near-term work we can do, which makes sense to do as we consider, you know, what options we're going to take here. But, but yes, I mean, I do think that at the right time, in a separate vehicle with a really strong management team, there's a lot of value that can be unlocked. And, and ultimately, that will really benefit us and our shareholders if we structure it right. So, and, and management team is really, really important, okay, with, with, with all of these things. Um, are we talking about the previous management team being allowed to go and, you know, finish the job they started? Or are you talking about bringing new management teams in? Because again, when we, when, when we go out there and we look at some of the uranium projects out there, some great management teams, the good asset, they know what they're doing. And then there's some people just joining the party, right? So, you know, investors will be looking at that. So have you got thoughts on either bringing yeah, new people I, in or, or? I mean, as, as I've mentioned to you, Matthew, the, the technical team was the third asset in Plateau and they've made huge impact on the on, on the speed that we've been involving things in Nevada and and our you know and our process engineering work and our optimization work they've been really key in that and it's been um, the knowledge they gained at Falchani and moving that to Battery Gate is now full bore on uh, on on TLC in Nevada so the, so we're not going to lose those guys, um, but at the same time, you know, the knowledge that they have of Makassani would make sense to whether they go on the board or, or, or have some kind of management role, but very much remain involved with us. We wouldn't want to give up those guys because the team is, we've got a really strong team now developed at American Lithium that we're not going to dismantle. But we think, Good. you know, we think they can do, uh, you know, they can add value on the uranium side still. Perfect. Okay, that's that's what I want to understand because you know to to lose the the technical now that you've brought in to to um, you know to TLC and also obviously with Falchani, um, I think would be a shame, and I don't know possibly even concern people. But you're you, you're cognizant of that. Look, I'm, I'm excited about uranium. I'm excited to see what you decide to do. Um, when would you maybe be making decisions on that? You know, as I said, we're not we're not going to rush. Uh, it, it just it just depends on 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 what we see. You know, what opportunities come to us. We're open to it, and we're we're open to discussing it and. You know, it, it could happen in the next few months. It, it could take longer. I mean, we're going to continue to advance what is a great project uh, and, and, and look to ultimately create value. So, we're not, again, I, I use the phrase knee-jerk. We're not going to do anything knee-jerk, but we'll certainly look at opportunities that come to us. Okay. I'll wait to hear from you on that one. Now, I am excited about uranium, but I'm also very, very excited about lithium. There's been a lot of M&A activity going on, a lot of competition for M&A activity going on. The competitive tension is always very important in these things, get the, you know, get the right price, et cetera. Um, can you just give us a little update because on what's going on with your two projects? Because we've seen you making a lot of announcements around the you know, technical options. I think you've got three that you've announced. Have you settled down on, on one of those yet? We're still going through the optimization approach on that. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the obvious choice would have been sulfuric acid, which we get very high, as we've announced, we get very high recovery rates, you know, it's high extraction of lithium. Uh, and it's a very tried and tested route that most of our peers use in Nevada. Um, but, you know, the roast, which we started looking at later in the process, 
is very intriguing to us as well because we you know we still get high extraction rates but the roasting process deals with a lot of the impurities up front that we deal with on the sulfur that we then have to deal with on the sulfuric acid side and you know it would very much lead lends itself to a cut and cover operation where you would quarry the lithium because it sits at surface and one of the key economic drivers for this project is how it's hosted and the fact it's right at surface so we'd quarry it roast it process it and then you effectively left with silica which you could then backfill with very easy so you minimize uh, um, environmental impacts which is key for permitting in the us right now and um you know and and you minimize tailings management you don't need a, a big uh, acid plant you do need a roaster but uh, lower capex um, and we think there's lots of really interesting attributes so we want to make sure that we do the work lawrence uh, uh, sorry matthew just you know lawrence is, is is focused on that you know really optimizing these and and then really uh, i mean what we don't want to do is come out with a pa that just gets the technical grade we, we could have done that months ago using sulfuric acid we want to find the best option from an economic and environmental lens using both lenses uh, and then we think that will drive a really robust pea so We'd rather take the time now and do the work. And, and as I say, that will then mean that, you know, we're, we're looking at PA in Q1 of next year. Um, but this is a piece that we really want to get right. We want to get the right mix and then it will drive a really strong PA. But with the roasting, you're, you're going to need gas, aren't you? And does, that, does that in itself bring problems in, in terms of one permission to do that? And again, environmentally. Yeah, I mean, you have to permit it, but it's, you know, the, the gas is 60 miles away and there's several utilities that are keen to do it. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely doable. The question mark comes, do you pay the capex? And so, you know, add a bit of capex to the roasting route, or do you pay a slightly higher long-term offtake with a utility that, might move your your operational costs up a bit, but again, the we think the overall environmental benefits could mean that it makes sense. So, you know, we 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 have to finish the process, we have to do all the work, and then we will, you know, select the the, the best approach again from that mix of economic and environmental lenses. Can we just talk about the environmental component again? Because we're we're yeah. seeing energy prices go up here in the UK. And then someone reminded me the other day that of a survey which happened, I think just over a year ago, said, would you mind paying more for your energy prices if they're from renewables? Well, guess what? The rubber just hit the road over here. And, and it turns out the way people voted back then is not how they feel today. So for you, and if, if you get to the point when you're selling, you know, choosing to a slightly, oh, sorry, a, a significantly more environmentally friendly solution, which may be a little bit more costly and therefore a little bit less margin. Do you think buyers are prepared to pay, you know, up for that? Is that the way that this ESG narrative is going? I think, so. I think to I think to an extent. I mean, we don't know where the cost will will ultimately come on the roasting option. I mean, we know on the sulfuric acid route, we fully believe we can get close to that 4,000 number per ton, which is, you know, a key one in the industry. Um, but uh, we don't know yet on on, on the um, roast, and you may be right, the natural gas side of it is definitely an input that's, that's that potentially makes your OPEX a bit higher. But, you know, you look at groups like, whether it's Tesla or Volkswagen or, or other end users, and 
more and more there is interest in solutions. You see it on the cobalt side, you know, with dirty cobalt. And so, I, I, you know, I'm, and I'm not by any means saying sulfuric acid is a bad route to go. It's tried and tested. There's benefits to it. You don't have as much of a CO2 per footprint as you'd have with with roasting. You know, you you do steps to mitigate that. And roasters do get permitted in, in in Nevada. And you know, we just think the life cycle for the whole thing, where you don't have to deal with tailings, you can cut and cover. Um, you don't have a big sulfuric acid plant. That kind of stuff might make roasting, you, you know, the better approach on an environmental perspective, and might. You know, you talk about the end users like Tesla and Volkswagen and, and, and other people, but but the, the other key element is the regulators. You know, what's gonna what's gonna be the best approach to permit? And um, you know, we we will also have those discussions as well because uh, and again, that's why we brought Minviro in early to help us do the life cycle analysis. So, you know, we can look at sulfuric acid against roasting on a on an environmental basis and look at what truly is the better route from an environmental footprint. Okay, so you've got you've kind of got that dis- discussion going on internally about, you know, higher or lower capex at the beginning versus higher or lower opex on, on mm-hmm. ongoing, plus the environmental premium that you may be able to get for it if when you do come to sell. Is that yeah. right? Okay. okay. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, let's, let's just talk about um, Falchani and TLC because um, there's... Obviously, one you've acquired, and one you, you you already had, and you know you you talked us through um, with Lawrence last time about the, the his team's ability to come in and help you technically with TLC. But have mm. have you now got a sense of the order of play with the lithium? You know, do you do you focus on Falchani or do you still stick with TLC? I mean, how's it advancing? Yeah, I, I, I you know I think I think Falchani was a little bit parked once while we did the acquisition. And you know, understood it better, um, but also because of the elections in Peru and the um, you know the process that's happened since that. And so, you know, we've started to see things revert to normal in 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 uh, in Peru. Our, our communities are fully engaged. We have all necessary approvals there. We've put in the roads that we need to put in in, in roads in the roads. And you know, as you saw, we were we were invited to go and meet the president in New York. A couple of weeks ago, and we had a really good conversation with him and his colleagues around um, around lithium, and they're very keen to see lithium developed in Peru within you know within the course of his presidency. And so, there's a lot of alignment there and a lot of support for what we're doing. And we were also reassured that you know a lot of the rhetoric that you saw in the election campaign around nationalization and expropriation, you know, was just that it was it was rhetoric and. So that's very much now given us the the impetus to relaunch things, and and you know we've had a drilling program on the books for a couple of months down there, which we're now going to move ahead and, and launch. And so we will be doing a lot of work at Falchani as well. And if you look at if you look at development, Falchani is further ahead. Uh, and if we're going to get the support locally, I mean Nevada is one of the best mining jurisdictions on the planet, but you know, it's well publicized that the permitting process can slow these projects down. So, you know, our, our approach is we, we like both. Falchani's further ahead right now and, you know, could could well be uh, in, in production sooner. So, 
you know, we're going to keep driving both of them ahead. Let me ask you about Pedro Castillo, because um, obviously, as you say, there's a lot of, and there always is, whether, whether it's Peru, Chile, Ecuador, whatever, they, all this nationalism and uh, nationalization rhetoric around the time of the elections or for the year preceding the elections. And we in the West react the same way. Oh, my goodness, it's, it's a socialist, potential socialist government. It, it's going to, the, the, the end is nigh, right? And then you come out the other side and you go, it's business as usual. It needs to be business as usual within mining mining uh, communities. But can I ask about the so, so that, that's something that we, you know we we've been looking at, and analyzing, talking to people about, and lawyers and politicians and um, y- you know bankers in the in those countries. But with Peru, with the mining constitution, so with with it, with yeah, with, with with the constitution needing to be uh, you know addressed, do you think that? Lithium is going to be viewed differently. Is it mining versus chemicals? Is it is it, basically is there any chance of any aspect of this being nationalized from your conversations in New York? From, from the conversations I've had, no. I mean, I'm not a political expert, and as you know, you you, you deal with whichever administration comes into power. Um, you know what. What I would say is, is from his comments, he is he is very keen to see lithium developed, and um, he really wants to see lithium move into production during the course of his presidency. So, but under what I condition? Think, but not not on a national control. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if 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 they're going to nationalize things, then you know, a I don't think they would ever get it through the parliament because the parliament is center right, and you have to come to the center to do things. But I also believe that that's not what he wants to do. What I what I believe he, he his interests are with the communities and making sure that the, that there are jobs locally and you know that companies don't concentrate lithium or or, or or other minerals and then export them out the country. He wants to see them developed and processed in country and maximum benefits for Peruvians. Um, and so, so I mean, will royalties go up? I mean, the way it the way it is in Peru right now is royalties are relatively benign, and you 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 work them out on a case by case basis, usually within you know one to three, sometimes five percent. Uh, you know, maybe there maybe there's an increase in that somewhere along the way, but certainly I I don't get the impression that there's going to be anything crazy done, um, as long as the projects involve the local communities, benefit Peru, uh, and I think it also are done in an environmentally responsible way. And that's that's the other thing about Falchani. I mean, it's in a region in Peru that has abundant water. You know, you compare that to a number of the brine operations in South America and uh, and a lot of hydroelectric power. So it's, uh, it's an area where Pedro Castillo uh, has a lot of support and he's a, it's an area he's committed to because of that. So I think, you know, our interests are very much aligned. Um, you know, we'll see, again, I'm not a politician, so we'll, we'll see how things evolve. But, but certainly, given the discussions we had, it makes sense for us to launch our next phase of development, you know, down in Peru. Okay. Do, do those conversations also give you a little bit of renewed hope on the legal case that you've inherited when you made the acquisition? That, that's an interesting one. We didn't talk directly to him on that. I mean, I know I, I know some of my colleagues that, that who are down in Peru. You know, our general man, manager Raúl Solís is very well connected politically, and so you know he's had a lot of discussions on that. Um, 
what we're told, and you know, you have to remember it's, it, the, the judiciary is separate from the political process. I mean, is their influence, you know, that's above my pay grade, but you know, the, the, um, that what we hear on the ground is that we, you know, there's a strong likelihood that this will be resolved shortly. And we fully, you know, we do expect it to be resolved in our favor, but again, you know, until the judge makes the final pronouncement, you, you know, you, you, you never know where things are going to go, but, but at this point, I'd say we're very optimistic that we'll see those concessions returned and okay. returned in the near future. Okay. Uh, let's talk cash and warrants. I mean, what's your position at the moment? We we actually had a bunch of warrants coming in recently that were well in the money. So we're, we're, we're at about 17 million in the bank, 17 million Canadians. So we're in a good position. Obviously, these are all projects, you know, I mean, as, as I've mentioned, our plans are to move move ahead pretty aggressively on, on all the projects. So, you know, at some stage, you know, uh, at the appropriate moment and appropriate market conditions, it likely will make sense to add more capital. And, you know, it would be nice to have two to three years running room in terms of treasury because of, you know, that'll really help us just focus on developing these projects and the, and the milestones and the news flow. So, Matthew, we're in no rush. We're certainly not desperate. We have more than enough cash for the next year, um, but uh, but somewhere along the line, we would probably probably look to bolster. And we do. We still have about twelve million uh, in 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 the money warrants and options that um, that will likely come in over the coming coming weeks and months as well. Okay, so so do the math. If if seventeen gets you through the next year or so, you've got. Yep. More warrants coming through. So if you did go to market, you'd be looking at the what, 30 to 40 million range? Uh, yeah, probably more like 25 to 30. 25 That's to 30. Kind of where we would, you know, okay. we would be. And, and again, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to over dilute. We recognize, I mean, I think, I think for us, we're not here for big paychecks. Um, you know, the management and the board have, uh, have, have good equity positions. You know, Andy's, Andy's always driven. Andy Baring, the chair, has always driven that. And, um, you know, we're we're aligned with shareholders where we make our real returns on this is 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 through equity appreciation, you know, and and ultimately, you know, whether we sell the company or you know move one or more projects through to production, you know, it, it's it, we're going to do what's going to maximize the returns for the shareholders, and, and and we're a big part of that. Okay, well, look, Simon, I had a bunch of questions lined up about you know we we're talking about you know seizing Falciani and you know Gang <laughs> Fang and what's going on in the market and place like that. What I'm what I'm hearing from you is there's a kind of planning and thinking phase that you're going through. So you're doing a bit of work, giving you some additional data, and thinking about how you tackle each one of these projects and what seems to be a fast-changing market for, for both commodities uh, at the moment. The lithium prices across the board are, I mean, shoot, yep. shooting up. Um, if anything, there's a slight disconnect with equities at the moment, which is the, the surprising component to this. Um, and uranium, I'm always excited about. So I'm keen, keen to see what you come back and uh, tell us in terms of timing, order of play, allocation of capital, yep. if indeed you do do a fundraise, you know, to give you a breathing space to focus on development. Um, so yeah, yep. stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Yeah, no, we'd love to. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned, Cesium, we will, 
we will at Falchani update the PEA probably as an initial step to moving into in, into into feasibility. It's ready for feasibility, but the original PEA never never incorporated cesium and potash, and there's a lot of interest in in both. I mean, potash is imported into Peru, so it's another strong another strong input, and uh, you know as well as the work we're doing to upgrade, you know, to extend the, the resource, but also move a lot of the inferred to M&I. Um, you know, we think it might, it'll make sense to, to update the PEA before then immediately moving into PFS. But lots happening. As I say, we're in no rush for capital, um, but, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue to drive ahead on all fronts. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.